0: Amen. Good morning. You may be seated this morning. Welcome. Can you hear me? Am I on? Oh boy. One, two. Can you hear me? No. Okay. I'm going to speak through here until we get that. Hey, good morning. Can you hear me now? (laughs) Okay. So glad you're here to worship our great God. So glad you're online with us, even though you can't be with us physically. We know the Spirit of God is with us and is with you wherever you are. Thank you for your patience with some technical difficulties this morning, but uh, we're together in the presence of God. Hey, on Friday, uh, Air Force One flew over our house, and my kids were like, Whoa, look, the President of the United States is right up there, and they were so excited. And uh, I was thinking this morning, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, I am there. Do you realize the creator of the universe is here with us this morning, inhabiting our praises? Does that get you excited? We should be. He's great. He's awesome, and he's worthy, so worthy of praise, so worthy of our worship, so worthy of our love, our devotion, our allegiance, our everything, because he has given us life. He's given us breath this morning to praise him, to share our love with one another. So, praise God this morning. This uh, yesterday, I woke up, and there's something in me that wants to explore. Do you ever just want to go somewhere and see something different, something new? And so I, I got my family, kind of rustled. Everyone was a little tired, but I said, hey, we're going to go. We have an adventure to go on this morning. And, and my kids weren't so happy <laughs> to go on an adventure, but, but I said, let's go. Let's, let's drive uh, east. And so uh, I wanted to find some dinosaur bones, and so uh, we drove east on Highway 44, and we got to a place called Buffalo Gap. Have you ever been in that grasslands area? And uh, we drove on some dirt roads. We got way out there. Where we couldn't find another soul, and I said, let's go. We found a, a bluff off in the distance, and we said, hey, let's go see if there's dinosaur bones over there, and so we began to walk, but uh, it was hot. <laughs> The ground was dry and cracked and rocky. There was no shade. Thank God for the shade this morning (laughs) with the clouds. And my kids were like, we're thirsty. We're tired. Where are you taking us, Dad? (laughs) We're going to die out here as we step over rattlesnake skins. And we came into, uh, we went up and down these gullies. And it was a dry and weary land. And we came to this gully and there's all these bones just stacked on each other, but they weren't dinosaur bones, (laughs) they were cows, and they were stacked and dead. Aren't you glad that God is full of surprises? And uh, as I looked at those bones, I I had a, a thought, because God gave a vision to the prophet Ezekiel. He came into a valley, a dry and weary valley, a dry land, a land with no life, and all he saw was bones laid out on the valley. And God told Ezekiel, pray and speak, prophesy over these bones that they might live. And I think about God and the God who can resurrect bones in a dry valley. And I thought about Ecclesiastes that we just wrapped up. And we went into that book, and my thought was, man, this is going to be a downer book, a depressing book. But The God of surprises reveals to us as you dig into Ecclesiastes that God is a God of joy. He's a God who gives good gifts and wants to bless his people. And as we get ready to go into Isaiah, the prophet, some of us maybe have a thought of Isaiah and we think, words of judgment. (laughs) These prophets, you know, they only talked about judgment. But God is a God of surprise, He's the God who brings life to bones. He's the God who goes to the low places, the hard places, the difficult places. And some of you here this morning, there's some dry bones in your life. There's some difficult valleys that you're walking through. I think of us as a nation. There's some dead places. There's some dry lands that we're walking through as a nation. What do we do? What do we do? We look to God, and I want to look at Isaiah in this time. I think it's a prophetic message towards Israel, but I think about Isaiah and the prophets in the Old Testament, and it's kind of like here where you see a a hill that's close by. And God gave a word to Isaiah and to the other prophets, because Isaiah was a contemporary of Amos and Hosea and Micah. And God gave these prophets a word and, and they were speaking to the current conditions of their day. They were speaking to the nation of Israel and they were speaking to the realities of, of what people were going through that day. But I love that God, the God of surprises, had a much bigger plan, a much bigger purpose. And so as they prophesied to the hill right in front of them, there were more hills behind them. And I, I love hearing the Black Hills. As you look out over the horizon, you see a hill and then there's another hill and another hill and another hill. And God had more hills that he wanted Isaiah to speak to. And so Isaiah spoke the word of God to his generation. But there were other generations in the future that God wanted to speak to. And so the prophet Isaiah had a word for his day. And he had a word for the next day and the following generations. And I believe that through the spirit of God, he has a word for us today. That God is going to speak to us through the prophet Isaiah. It was written in 740 B.C. Much uh, people in our culture are trying to do away with things, but B.C. means before Christ. (laughs) He's the Lord of history. He's the Lord of all. There's a reason our whole calendar, everything revolves around the person of Jesus Christ. And Isaiah prophesied about the coming day of the Messiah, the coming day when Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah looked past the present hill to the future hill in history. And I believe that history is still unfolding and Jesus is still Lord of history. He's not surprised. He's not undone by what's happening. He knows. He's the Lord of all. He is worthy of our worship because he is the creator. So in 740 BC, the year King Isaiah died, God told Isaiah, I'm calling you to speak, to preach to share a word in this generation. And guess what, Isaiah? They're not going to listen. And uh, I can relate a little bit. Sometimes as a preacher, it feels like we do a lot of talking and a lot of times we get caught up in personalities or, or different things and, and we get attracted to different preachers. But, but it's not about Isaiah. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not about us. God has a word and he calls us people. People servants of his to serve him, to share his glory with other people. And so he called Isaiah. We know that he probably lived most of his life in Jerusalem. He was married, and we know he at least had two kids. He may have had more, but we know from the book of Isaiah he had at least two kids. And tradition says that uh, people didn't all, always like what God had Isaiah share. And so in the king of uh, the reign of Manasseh, we have the tradition that Isaiah was probably sawed in half. He was killed for proclaiming the word of God. So Isaiah was all in. He understood that God was calling him to share a message for his generation, for future generations. And I believe a message that we desperately desperately need today. So the God of surprises. Would you look at me in your Bible? If you have your phone, you can open that. But if you have your physical Bible, even better. Please open to Isaiah chapter 1. And in this series, we're going to spend nine weeks. We're not going to go verse by verse. I wish we could. I talked to someone this week and said, you can't do justice to Isaiah in nine weeks, and he's right. <laughs> we can't. But we're going to look at sections. So this morning we're looking at sections, of ver- chapters one through five, and so we're just going to highlight a few things that God, I think, wants to reveal to us through the prophet Isaiah. So in chapter one, starting in verse two, this is what God had Isaiah say to the nation of Israel. Hear me, you heavens, listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, the donkey its own manager, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel and they have turned their backs on him. Aren't you glad that God's a God of surprises? You might hear those words and say, man, this is a message of judgment. This is a heavy message. This is hard. But what I love about this book of Isaiah and we're going to see is God's intention isn't to condemn. It's not to bring punishment, but to bring salvation. Did you know the name Isaiah means the Lord saves? (laughs) The Lord saves. The message of Isaiah is one of hope, salvation, peace, restoration, healing, mercy, But in order to experience the goodness of God, we must hear the truth. As we wrapped up Ecclesiastes last week, we said, uh, Solomon wrote that the words of God are like goads, (laughs) like a cattle prod. It's hard, but we need to hear the truth. And God speaks to us truth and love. And so he brings truth to the nation of Israel. Chapters 1 through 5 are specifically focused on the nation of Israel. And God had a word of justice, of warning, of judgment because they had turned their backs on their maker, on their creator, their sustainer, the one who gave them life, the one who called them, the one who called Abraham and formed them. God was the creator of the nation and the people had forgotten. And so they needed this word. Now the whole book of Isaiah is set up as a lawsuit. It's a lawsuit from god towards his people now we live in a time where people bring a lot of lawsuits (laughs) there's a lot of uh, of anger among people and a lot of positions and ideas of what's right and what's fair and what's just it's interesting as human beings we always have a perspective on justice (laughs) we have a perspective from our perspective of what we think is right what we think is fair in fact i i think it's funny you go to any playground, and, and one of the f- things you'll always hear a kid say is, it's not fair. <laughs> Have you heard that? <laughs> I hear it. I hear it in my house all the time. Dad, it's not fair. <laughs> we long for justice, but we see justice from a certain perspective, from a certain vantage point, from a certain way, and none of us are God. <laughs> we're flawed human beings, and we're finite, and we're limited and what we can see and hear and understand. And so when we bring judgment on others, when we bring blame or accusations, it's a limited perspective. And so what the prophet Isaiah invites us to do is step back, step back from our own judgments, our own sense of what's right, what's fair. And he asks us to do something. He asks us to pause and stop and think about what is God's perspective? What does God say? What does God think? How often do we just rush through life thinking only about ourselves and thinking only what we know, what we understand, what we see? But Isaiah invites us to step back and to look at God and to hear what God says. And so God brings his perspective, his judgment on the nation of Israel, but not just the nation of Israel, on all nations, on all people. As we're going to see, the prophet Isaiah was called not just to the nation of Israel, but to all the nations. Because God's plan wasn't just to save one people, but to save all people. And we see God's heartbeat in calling Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a great nation, but through you, all the nations are going to be blessed. Through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. God's intention was to bring blessing, not just to the nation of Israel, but to bring blessing to the United States of America. (laughs) To bring blessing to every nation, every people, every tribe, every tongue, every language. All men created in the image of God. And God has a plan to bring blessing. And so he begins to reveal the truth, the hard truth of the reality of people rebelling against God, turning their backs on God, and Isaiah, in chapters 1 through 5, lays out very clearly what this is. And he lists a whole number of sins. If you go through all the chapters 1 through 5, you will see a whole list. And I've accumulated a few of them, but here's the greatest sin that Isaiah brings out. And it's the sin of idolatry. The people of Israel began to worship other gods. They began to put their trust in other things. They began to love other things besides God, because God's greatest command was to love Him, to worship Him only, to love Him with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our strength, all our mind, everything we have, every breath to give God the glory that He deserves. But the nation of Israel exchanged that greater glory for a lesser glory, and they began to have other priorities, other loves, other passions outside of God. And so God says, you're worshiping me in, uh, in the temple. You're bringing your sacrifices in chapter one. He says, you, you bring all this before me, but it's a stench. I don't like your worship because it's only an action, but it's not coming from your hearts. There's no love. There's no passion for me. You've removed me from the first place. And so God brings this lawsuit and he says, you've wandered from me. You've taken up another way. And so God says in chapter 2 and 3, he begins to talk about a tool that he's going to use to get the nation of Israel's attention. He says he's going to raise up Assyria, a people who are fierce and wild and, and going to destroy the nation of Israel, and you say, Ben, that's harsh, <laughs> but God speaks this out of love. He says, You must come to this place where you realize how devastating it is to worship other things besides me. Because as you begin to worship those other things, there becomes pain and stain on the land. And here's the, some of the things he outlined is, as their worship. Got twisted and and it got away from God, they began to do wrong towards others. They no longer cared about their neighbors. They no longer loved the people in their midst. Instead, there was violence. There was hatred towards others. There was injustice towards others. There was oppression of other people. You can read in chapter one, this is not what I'm coming up. This is what Isaiah is saying, that people are mistreating other people. The fatherless are abandoned. The widows are not being cared for. People are accumulating wealth out of selfishness and greed. It says they're, they're building bigger and bigger houses. They're growing bigger and bigger farms. But they're doing it all for selfish gain and not caring about the people around them. They're worshiping wealth versus God. There's addictions. and he, out, Isaiah outlines addiction to alcohol pursuing pleasure outside of God. There's lying, there's corruption, there's taking advantage of the rules to bend them for selfish gain, personal gain. There's the distortion of truth where evil is called good and good is called evil. (laughs) Now, Isaiah's writing this in 740 BC, but don't we see these things today? There's bribes so that people aren't able to get justice And so there's this long list that Isaiah lays out. And you're thinking, Ben, this is a heavy message. (laughs) Why are you bringing this message to us today? It doesn't feel good. But here's the good news. God loves us too much to keep us comfortable. He wants us to be uncomfortable sometimes so that we can open our eyes and open our ears, as Isaiah said in chapter 1, where where God says, I'm going to call you to a people who won't listen. They won't open their eyes. They won't hear. And God says, I'm doing this so that maybe, maybe a few people will soften their hearts. Maybe some people will turn. Maybe there will be a remnant who will worship me, who will receive the blessings that I want to give them. And so his heart is good. We talked last week about God being the good shepherd and that he cares for his sheep and they're the most valuable thing for them. And so as we listen to the hard reality of God's lawsuit against Israel, and as we see that it throughout Isaiah expanded, not just for Israel, but all the nations. Every known nation is named in the book of Isaiah. And so God is saying, all people have failed. All nations have failed to understand the immensity of my love, and the immensity of my goodness, and the immensity of my purpose. But here's the good news this morning— Just as I came to those bones, God doesn't leave bones dead. He's the resurrection God. And Jesus came and he died on a cross to take the curse and the sinfulness and the rebellion and all the ugliness of humanity. He took it upon himself and he is the resurrection God. Yesterday with my kids, we made it out of the valley of the bones and we made it up to the top of the hill and the kids complained the whole way, but we got to the top, and there was this beautiful picture of the Black Hills, and as we turned around, we could see the badlands behind us, and this immensity of beauty and glory, and the kids were no longer complaining. (laughs) There was joy. There was blessing. We were so glad that we went through the valley of the bones so that we could be on the summit and see the glory of God, the goodness of God the provision of God. My dear brothers and sisters, God takes us to the valley so that we can go to the place of glory. That's his heart. That's his purpose. I love what it says in Hebrews. It says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children. I was, I was with a friend this past week and, and he has two small kids and we were saying, it's so important that we discipline our kids because if we don't, we're not loving them. We discipline them because we love them. Because we want them to to live the good life, the good way. We want them to be successful in every way in life. And so we have to discipline them as children. God disciplines us. There's hardship. There's valleys. There's dry places. For what children are not disciplined by their fathers? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, there's no exceptions, (laughs) there's no unrighteous, only Jesus was righteous, only Jesus was righteous, but we all undergo discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters. I pray with all my heart, with all my passion, that all of you would know that you are sons and daughters of God, that he loves you, he cares for you more than you will ever know. His heart bleeds for you. His heart bleeds for this nation. His heart bleeds for every nation on this planet. His heart bleeds for every people group. That's why he sent Jesus into this world. But he loves us enough to lead us through the valleys, through the painful places, through the places of bones and rattlesnakes, because he loves us. And just when we might think, that, you know, Isaiah is just for Israel. God has a chapter two message for all people, and it's called the day of the Lord. And this is a theme not only in Isaiah, but the whole Bible talks about the day of the Lord, that there is a day coming when every people will stand before God. The reality is, in this world, there's a lot of injustice. There's a lot of wrong. But none of us can make it right in our own strength. There's only one who can make it right, and it is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, the only judge, and it is God. He is the judge. And the day of the Lord says in Revelation that every people will stand before the great white throne and they will be judged. And Isaiah looked into the future and he saw this day. And this is what God says, the Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. There's no exception. The Bible says in Philippians 2: every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. There's no escape. The day of the Lord is coming. For all the cedars of Lebanon, tall and lofty, all the oaks of Bashan, all the towering mountains, the high hills, every lofty tower, every fortified wall, every trading ship, every stately vessel. He's talking about the glory of humanity. Everything we've built, everything we've said: look what we've done, look what I've accomplished. God says that will be brought low. He says the arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride will be humbled. You see, this was the greatest sin of Israel. It's the greatest sin of all humanity is that we have re- shook our fist at God. We've said, God, I don't need you. I'm gonna make my own way. I'm gonna do my own thing. I don't care what you say. God says that pride will be humbled humble. The Lord alone will be exalted on that day, day. There's only one who is worthy of our worship. There is only one creator, maker of all things, the Lord of all, and his glory he will not share with another. He is jealous for his glory because there is no greater glory. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of our love, our passion. The idols will totally disappear. The people will flee to caves in the rocks and to holes in the ground from the fearful presence of the Lord in the splendor of his majesty. Do you remember last week what Bill shared with us so simply, so beautifully that the only thing that remains is to fear God and to do what he says, to fear God. This is the invitation. This is the prophetic call to us today. Today that we can come into the presence of the Lord, the splendor of his majesty. And when he rises to shake the earth, in that day people will throw away to the moles and the bats their idols of silver, the things we thought were so valuable, the treasures that we grasped onto and held onto. We're going to throw away the... Idols of silver and gold that we made to worship. And they will flee to caverns in the rocks and the overhanging crags and from the fearful presence of the Lord and the splendor of his majesty when he rises to shake the earth. And today, brothers and sisters, we see a shaking. It's not the day of the Lord, but there's a shaking in the world. The whole world is shaking, trembling right now for different reasons, different things, but people are realizing we don't have as much control as we thought. God will shake the earth. And listen to verse 22. This is so important. Stop trusting in mere humans. Don't find your hope in a man or woman. Find your hope in God. He is the creator. He is the Lord. Because he says, stop trusting in mere humans who have but breath in their nostrils. You see, we got it all wrong. We keep comparing ourselves to others. We keep looking to others We weren't meant to be lords over each other. Jesus said the Gentiles, they lorded over each other. But not you. You don't try to get control or power over other people. That's not my way. Because there is one Lord. There is one God. There is one king. And he is Lord of all. And so we have to decide, will we trust him? Or will we turn to other things? He says, why hold them in esteem? Why worship What is only created when you can worship the creator. You see, brothers and sisters, the message of Isaiah is a passionate call to the lordship of God. Sovereign, glorious over all things. He is the Lord of human history. He is the Lord of the universe. (laughs) And we peer into the heavens and we see how small we are. We can barely see the closest star or the closest stars beyond the sun. And beyond that, there are galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies. And we can barely peer into the depths of the ocean. And we can barely understand the breadth of all of creation. And we realize we are small. We are created. And there is a God who is over all and in all and working through all. And so, dear brothers and sisters, the message of Isaiah is to stop judging and blaming others or looking to others to get our our focus off what's going on around us, to, to get it to the Lord. He calls. It says in Isaiah 55, he says, Come, you who are thirsty, come to me. That is the invitation. God has a merciful plan to bring blessing. And I, I'm so thankful for the surprise that God brings <laughs> in the midst of the we're hard words of judgment. There's a message of hope because look at what it says in Isaiah chapter four, because out of this stump, as as Assyria comes through, God says, out of this stump, I will raise up a branch and a vine will grow and it says i will sing for the one i love a song about the vineyard and so god shares his immense love for his people israel and he says i'm going to turn this into a fruitful vine think of the words in jesus in john 15 that he is the branch he is the, uh, the 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 vine and we are the branches god is going to bring fruitfulness and blessing out of all things In isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 and 19 it says come Here's God's invitation. You've heard the judgment. You've heard the verdict. Guilt. We are guilty. All of humanity is guilty. But come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be made white as snow. Praise God. He cleans, He cleanses. He makes new. And through that, they are red as crimson. They shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. God's heart is to bless to satisfy. And this is what God, I think, is inviting us today to think about through the words of Isaiah. Where will we turn? Where will we go? What will we trust? I was thinking about this weekend and the history of our country. So thankful for 1776. But before 1776, in the early 1700s and mid-1700s, as these colonies were forming, there was a lot of things that Isaiah outlined in this book happening in the colonies. There was a lot of evil. There was a lot of hardship. There was a lot of difficulty. There was a lot of suffering. There was a lot of divisions and jealousies. Several of the uh, preachers of that time, Jonathan Edwards, described that time as a degenerate time. The churches... We're empty, except for people just trying to fulfill a religious duty. And then God began to put a passion in people's hearts. And people began to preach the word of God. And It was a call to return to God, to worship him only, to not trust in our own achievements or our own work or what we could achieve on our own. And it said that in that day, as Whitfield and Edwards and the Wesleys preached, every single person in the colonies heard the good news of Jesus Christ. <laughs> there was powerful movement of the spirit of God in that land, in that time, and people began to repent. They began to confess their sin. They heard the hard truths of who God is, His holiness, His righteousness. But they also heard that he was a God of love and a grace and forgiveness, just as we read that God was willing to make things clean and right in the land. And people turned in mass to Jesus Christ. They began to fear God and worship God, and the churches became full, not just with people fulfilling religious duty, but with passion, seeking the glory and the holiness of God in this land. And God called, it became known as the Great Awakening, And almost every historian says that 1776 would not have happened if there had not been that great move of God to bring people to a place of humility before him. God did that in our country. And guess what? He's done it in other lands. I grew up in South America, and I've seen the movement of God as he revives people's hearts and draws them to himself. I believe This is the day, this is the time, as it says in 2 Corinthians, today is the day of salvation, that God could do another awakening in our land where we turn away from our idols and we turn away from our pride and we begin to seek God and to worship him and to order our lives around his glory, his purposes, and his plans. And I believe if we do that, as Isaiah promised, then there will be good things in the land. (laughs) You see, we cannot have one without the other. Everything good comes from God. He is the source of all blessing. He is the source of all hope. He is the source of all love. He is the source of everything that our hearts long for. And he wants to give it to us. But the question is, are we willing? Are we obedient? And that's a question all of us individually have to settle. We can't settle that for someone else. I can't settle that for you. You can't settle that for me. We hear the word of God, and it's through the word of God that faith comes, as Paul says. And we pray that faith would be born into our hearts, that faith would be born in our lives, and that we would begin to trust God. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And remember, Isaiah means the Lord saves. God, thank you for being our salvation. Jesus, thank you that you are the vine and that you came to bring blessing and fruitfulness to all men and all women that if we remain in you and abide in you, then we will bear much fruits. And so God, we, we hear this message this morning and Holy Spirit, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust that you're going to bring confession where it needs to happen in people's lives. That there's going to be a turning towards you, Lord, some way, somehow. I don't know what it's going to look like, but God, you do. And that God, as we turn to you, that we're going to experience something new. And that Those dry, broken, painful valleys in our lives are going to be turned into fruitful valleys, places of gentle, quiet waters and green pastures where, shepherd, you're going to minister to our souls and you're going to restore what the locusts have eaten. You're going to make new things in our lives, in our lands, in our world. Thank you, God, that you are the creative God who is recreating, making new, breathing new life, And to all of us, we pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.